Last week we, we started a, a new series that looks at how sometimes we are lost in the world. We, we're trying to find direction in a wrecked world. We see the, the storms and the wind that's beating up against us and we wonder, how can I move forward? How can I experience blessing? How can I experience life the way it's supposed to be lived? And there's a lot of times that we just come to the point where we're just trying to figure out what life's all about. Last week we looked at, from the very beginning, God created man to not be alone, but to experience community with others. And how, in community, we really find hope as we are connected with other people that really want to challenge us and encourage us to do the right thing before God. We really experience a better life, um, an isolated life that's cut off from people and cut off from God is, is, is empty. And that really helps us find our, our bearings in life, others. But what sometimes happens in life is, despite the people around us, uh, the people that we run into every day, whether that's at work and our family, there's still a part of us that we, we're empty. Despite all the people, we still feel lost, uh, not sure of how to, to move forward in life. And we're going to look at why that is. Um, this morning, we're going to dig in back to the creation account, back to the beginning with Adam and Eve and and see what happened. What, what I've come to find out in my own life is despite the progress I make, there's something I'm always going to deal with. And that's that's struggles, uh, temptation, sin, the fear and the shame that is accompanied that, you know, accompanied with what I do. I'm always going to deal with that throughout the rest of my life, how to overcome sin. And we're going to look at how sin entered the world this morning and how despite what you've done, despite what I've done, whether it was 15 years ago, yesterday, this morning, God wants to give us hope. I got to thinking, have you ever, you know, done something and you... You wanted to keep it a secret. You know, you, you just did something that was really stupid, and you think, oh, my gosh, if anyone knows I've done that, they're not going to believe it. Am I the only one? Okay. By the nervous giggle, I know. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I had one of those, like, great guy ideas. Sometimes, like, you know, each guy that I hung out with, like, we each have a brain, right? But then when you, like, hang out together, somehow it's like you all pull from one brain, it seems like. And I had this genius idea with a friend of mine. He went on a mission trip to Mexico, and while he experienced a lot of growth, he also experienced a bounty of firecrackers. And so sophomore year of college decided, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we threw a firecracker down the stairwell just to see what would happen? And uh, we, threw, we threw the firecracker, you know, we ran to our room, picked up our books, acted like we were studying, and the, the noise just ricocheted all in the stairwell. So we're like, wow, that was awesome. You know, then the fire alarm goes off, and it's like, uh-oh. I think that was us. And uh, on the loudspeaker, the PA, the resident director says, all men report to the second floor lobby. And it's like, oh, we're having a pep rally. Uh, uh. You know, so I'm feeling a little, all of a sudden, I'm guilty. And I know, uh-oh. So we, we sit, and it's just this, like, you know, every guy is just upset. Because they've been, you know, playing video games, studying, playing video games. And... They're upset because everyone's having to go in the storm, and we're all kind of seated against the wall, 
It's just all these guys are just looking at each other like, who set off the fire alarm? You know, I think I didn't set it off. Somebody pulled it. And uh, so the, the RD comes and he says, you know, somebody threw a firecracker down the stairwell. And he had, he had it in his hand. I was like, uh-oh, we should have got rid of the evidence. And uh, who, who did it? Just flat out in front of everybody. Who did it? And I was, if no one confesses right now, everyone gets community service. You know, the guys were all, man, if you don't say who did it, and, you know, I'm starting, to, oh, no, this is going to be mutiny here. And so I'm, I'm nervous. And I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling guilty. You know, I'm feeling a little bit like, uh-oh, what have I done? We're all going to have to do community service on behalf of my firecracker prank, you know. So I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous. I feel like everyone's looking at me, you know, like they already know. So the RD comes and he says, Alex, after the meeting, he dismisses everyone and says, you know, if I don't have a report by like 5 p.m. this evening, everyone in the whole dorm is going to get community service. And so he comes to me and he says, Alex, I really need your help. I think the firecracker was thrown from your wing in the dorms. Can you help me? So, you know, he, look, he looks at me, and I, I look, my eyes go a little crooked, like, I mean, I really could help you. <laughs> if I hadn't have done it, that's what I was thinking. So I give the sour look, and he says, Alex, did you do it? And I just, it was me. It was me. And so I, I got community service, had to clean, you know, gum off the stairs for about 15 hours, okay? Um, and what, what, I, what I decided, you know, at that moment was, the, the pressure of what I've done and the guilt and the fact that I, that I knew I was guilty, it, it, was, it was too much to handle. I mean, when everyone just started kind of like, if you don't tell, and, and I just started getting freaked out. Finally, when I, I faced what I had done, received my punishment, it was like, okay, let's find some more firecrack. No, just kidding. <laughs> I knew that that's kind of how life works. We, we, we mess up, and when we, we hide things and we... We're not doing the right thing with our lives. The pressure builds. It's like, you know, we're trying to run up against the wall, and life doesn't work that way. And we're going to look at how Adam and Eve basically experienced the same kind of thing. Uh, each of us have our own stories, uh, things that we've done in the past that we don't want anyone to know about, uh, secrets that we have. Uh, they could be big, they could be small, but just things that just weigh us down. And we're going to look at how God wants to rescue us uh, from those. So let's pick up uh, in your outline. You can uh, follow along. Uh, there's a condition in the world, and that's called sin. And what we need to understand in this condition is that we are not the first people to sin. Uh, you're not the first person to sin. I'm not the first person. Uh, the first person was, was Adam and Eve. And it's interesting because we talked last week because they were in paradise. I mean, they were in the best place on earth. They had each other. You know, Adam's business card said manager of paradise. Everything was going well. And all of a sudden, some things changed. So you can read in your, your outline or up on the screen. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, he's, he, the serpent is, is Satan, the devil. He is God's enemy. Uh, he was... Back then, and he is today. He exists, and he is the antithesis of God. Everything that God wants, Satan wants the opposite of. 
And what you see is you see his strategy and him working in the garden. It's a serene place. Everything's going well. And then he begins with this idea. And what he's saying is, did God really say to not do what you want to do? Did God limit your freedom? Is God being stingy? I mean, are you sure he really said you couldn't do that? So he's, he's kind of messing with, with Eve's mind. And then she says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who is with her and he he ate it. So in this serene place where perfection exists, there's community. The serpent, who is the devil, comes and throws everything into chaos. And the way he gets to Eve is basically saying, surely God is not a stingy God. I mean, if he wants to give you everything, then why can't you just eat of that tree? And Eve starts to think, yeah, I mean, why, why not? I mean, I'm here. God made this for us. Why can't I eat? And what Satan's doing, he's just trying to work his schemes to get Adam and Eve to do the opposite of what God said. And so from the beginning, we have to learn that we're not the first people to sin. Um, we're faced with temptation every day of our lives. This, this idea that God has set boundaries, just like he did with Adam and Eve, he set boundaries. This is right, this is wrong. What happens is there's parts in our lives in certain areas that we struggle with where we kind of try to, to skate the boundaries a little bit. Well, maybe this is right as well. Maybe I can do this. The way I look at sin in my own life is kind of like, you know those bugs that fly into that fluorescent light and then they like catch on fire? It's really, it's cool, but it's kind of morbid at the same time. You know, you hear crackling and popping and, ooh, that was a good one, you know. That's kind of what sin is. It's like we're, we're, we're okay. We're flying around. We're experiencing life. And all of a sudden, like, a light comes. Ooh. And we, we go right into it. Ooh, that is awesome. That is cool. Well, back! That's what happened in the garden. You know, in, in the midst of everything that was good, a light came, and that was a temptation from Satan himself to Eve, saying, wait a second, eat, eat from here. You're not going to surely die. God says you'll die. You're not going to die. Don't believe God, believe me. And this thing that happened right here was changed really the face of the whole world, our state as humans. We experience sin. We experience lostness and doubt and fear and shame because of this this exact moment in time where we decided, Adam and Eve, representatives of all humanity, decided, you know, maybe this boundary is not as secure as you've said, God. Maybe I could still get away with this. And they did. So we're not the first people to sin. But because there's sin in the world, we, we all do sin. We all make choices that miss the mark. Uh, what we find also is that we're susceptible to temptation. If you've wondered why life is tough doing the right thing, or how it's easy sometimes to do the wrong thing, it's because of what happened here in the beginning of Genesis. With man having free will, as soon as we chose 
to do the wrong thing. Now the wrong seems right. It seems like, wow, that that really is what I want to see. I I like verse 6 because it really describes accurately what happens when we're tempted. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This idea of this temptation was not the most disgusting thing that Eve had ever seen. In fact, it was very appealing. What, what Satan was doing was describing something that she could have, this knowledge, and you could be like God, and, and Eve was saying, wow, that, that's a pretty good deal. You ever watching TV, and all of a sudden, that guy with the beard comes on with the OxyClean? You know who I'm talking about. It's like that guy could sell anything. Piece of cardboard. It will last you the rest of your life. Three payments of $9.99. You're calling up. It's kind of like that. You, you're in the middle of your life, and all of a sudden, something comes Wow. I need that. And then you get it, and you open it, and you never use it. You, that's how temptation is so so attractive. We get into it, and then, oh, this, this is it? A piece of cardboard? And that, that's what sin is. It's, it's, it's so appealing to us. We want, we want to rush. We'll pay for it. And then the price is just too much. 1 Corinthians 10.13 uh, offers hope, but also a reality. And it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Okay, what, what Paul is saying here, Paul is a, uh, a church starter in the first century. What he's saying is, is you are not going to experience temptation that is out of the ordinary. Have you ever experienced something and you, or you've done something you're like, I'm the first person in the world to ever have done this. Oh my gosh. The scripture is saying, no. Whatever you've, you've done, other people have done too. That doesn't give you a pass it just shows you you're not weird. You're normal. You're doing what man does, and that is to sin. And so no temptation is seized you except what is common to man, meaning that sin and temptation is common to us now. We are going to struggle with it the rest of our lives. Second uh, part of the verse says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Sometimes with our life, we, we experience these things, just the... The choices that we made, bad decisions, sins that we've committed, a past that we want to get rid of, a present that we're not happy with. And we just think, oh, I keep doing the same things again and again. And right here in 1 Corinthians, God is using Paul to describe the life that we have in a relationship with God. And that is, despite the pressure and the struggles that you're going to face the rest of your life, God offers a way out. Meaning you don't have to keep running your head against the wall. With the same struggle, and the same fear, and the same shame that you have your whole life. That is the hope that we have in a relationship with God. God offers us a way out to our own attraction to that fluorescent light. Let's continue. There is a price uh, to sin. And it's separation from God. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Genesis 3.7, I think, describes Romans 6.23. Genesis 3.7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's interesting. Adam and Eve were not blind. It didn't mean that they couldn't see, and then all of a sudden they could. Because remember, they've seen the gardens. Adam is taking care of the garden, so he's got to be able to see. 
God pointed out the tree that they couldn't eat. They know where it was. What it means is, as soon as they sin, their innocence was gone. It's kind of like they had boundaries on their eyes and they saw these are the things God's told us to do. This is the way we should go. And then sin entered the world. They made a choice to go against God. And all of a sudden now they see everything that's out there, things that overwhelm them. And it's funny, what they tried to do was they, they made this fig leaf outfit to cover their nakedness. Basically, they had sinned, and what they're doing is trying to hide the fact that they've, they've sinned. Okay, uh, let's, let's tape this together. Let's put this on and, and just act like nothing's happened. God comes by, just be real still, and maybe he won't see you. You know, they didn't have duct tape back then, but I'm sure they had a substance like that. Okay, just tape that up and stick it on and uh, stand over there and just wait. And that's, that's what happens with sin. It's, we, we get in the midst of it and we just think, oh, how can I act like I've not done that? How can I act like I'm okay? And we, we play games with ourselves. We play games with God. We play games with others. We want to appear like we're, we're okay. And deep inside, we're, we're not. Um, and so we, we experience that, just that overwhelming sense of what have I done and what do I do now? And, it, and, it's, and it's overwhelming. Um, the, the interesting thing is uh, they realized they were naked. Basically, their innocence was gone. They had sinned. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Try to make it appear like they've not done what they've done. They're making up for their sin. Uh, we tend to do the same things. I've never, you know, sewed a fig covering for myself, but I try to make up for my sin in different ways uh, before God. Sometimes I think if, if I'm more successful, maybe I appear better than I am. If I have power, um, if I really just make it all about the relationships that I'm in, and we use these things to try to make us feel better or appear better, what we're missing is the only thing that, that makes us right is our relationship with God. He's the only person that can restore us. So what do we do? First thing is, the steps to finding forgiveness, once we've blown it, is we've got to admit your sin to God. The next verses, I think, are great at describing how this admitting our sin is foreign to us. Um, let's read that. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that kind of weird? God created everything. He sees everything. And they're thinking, all right, put this outfit on and hide in the tree. It's like the kid that eats the cookie, right? It's got it all over her mouth, on the hands, and did you eat the cookie? What is that? They went back to infancy, this idea of, okay, you hide in that tree, I'll hide in this. And he's like, that's oak number 42, I made that. I see you. You know, and it's interesting. God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the Lord God called to the man, he says, where are you? You know Adam's like, who's he talking to? He's like, there's only one man. It's you. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
You see the fear and shame again? I was afraid. I had done wrong and I was afraid. Afraid of what was going to happen. Afraid of the state that he was in. And then the, the, the fear led to shame. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I tried to make it seem like everything was okay. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, this is, this is great. You know, fear, shame, blame. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So he, he was ashamed. He was afraid. And then when that wasn't good enough, he just said, it was her. Not only it was, it wasn't just, it was her, it was, it was her and you gave me her, God. Isn't that how it works? It's like stuff's in our life because of decisions we've made, we've screwed up, and somehow it comes back to, God, why did you do that? This is great, because you know, Eve's smart. She just got thrown over the, you know, under the bus. Then, then she says, then the Lord God said to the woman, so he, he comes to Adam, Adam says it's her, God's like, okay, goes to her, and she says, watch this. Uh, the woman, oh, sorry. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. If all else fails, blame a snake. If there's no other human left, blame the snake. This is the initial sense of humanity. When things go wrong, when we experience fear, we experience shame, we're guilty, we don't know how to move forward. We think we can't change, we just decide, well, it's not my fault. Somebody else. And it's so important to look at what was happening here in the early days in the garden, because that's really how we are. I experienced this this past week. I, I got in a car accident, and it was completely my fault. I was turning left on a green light, but, you know, you're supposed to yield. I guess. I guess that's the law. Yeah. So I turn left, and all of a sudden, like, I hear brake lights, and then I see a red Ford Expedition coming towards me, and I think, uh-oh, and boom, you know, crashed. First thing I did, I threw my hands up, like, oh, no. And then I thought, well, maybe she had a red light. So I looked up the light. Man, it was green as grass. And I thought, oh, no. I think that was my fault. And so, you know, I was just battling like, oh, man, I got an accident. It's just a pain. And, you know, I decided, well, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll deal with it. So I got a letter from the insurance. And this, this just, crack, just cracks me up. You know, insurance has to, like, go through the California law. And they have to, you know, tell you if you're guilty or not. So this letter is official. You know, and it says... California state law requires that we inform you if you are principally responsible for this act, you know, accident, primary responsible, if you are at least 51% guilty. Mr. Barrett, you are 100% guilty. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, I, I saw the green light and my car I don't have. Thank you. So, you know, it's just kind of like, man, you know, you think back, what if that hadn't happened? Like, what if I was faster? What if I was slower? What if my truck jumped her car? 
you know, you start thinking about all this stuff. So then I, I, I get home and my daughter, who's two and a half and curious, here's my wife talking about the accident. So I, I go and it's been a long day, uh, this crash, I've had been a tow truck and hey, good night, honey. And Where's your car? Uh, you know, it's crap. Why lady run into you? You know, actually, I ran into her. You know, I'm thinking, great. You know, this is beautiful. And she's like, why you hit lady? <laughs> and, you know, I start thinking, wow, this is kind of how we, we deal with sin ourselves. You know, we, in our head, we just start, why you, why'd you do that? And then the serpent, the enemy today, the devil himself, and his forces tell us these same things. Why, why'd you do that? So, you know, she asks, where's your car? Why you hit lady? And it's like, how do you describe why you did that? I wasn't thinking. I made a mistake. And then she, this, she said this last night, and I just cracked up. She said, why do you turn left? <laughs> the insurance is asking me the same thing. <laughs> and that, that is what sin does. You, you screw up and then all the whys come. Why'd you do that? Why aren't you good enough? What were you thinking? And then it comes to the point where you just, I just don't know. I'm guilty. Okay? Go to bed. <laughs> oh, sorry. With that. So what you find is the, the last part of Genesis 3, exactly our, our nature. We're faced with our sin. We experience fear. We experience shame. We want to shift the blame to someone else. If you want a good example of how to confess your sin, read Psalm 51. David committed adultery, got a man killed, made terrible choices, and he came face to face with his sin and what he had done. In Psalm 51, he confessed that to God. If you're looking for a good example of how to do that, read Psalm 51. Beautiful thing happened after God basically asks Adam and Eve and they shift the blame. Um, he offers them grace. What we find is once we, we come face to face with our sin and we admit it to God, we need to reach out for God's grace. And God's grace is really his unmerited favor for us. That It's not because of what we've done. But it's because of the fact that God made us just like he made Adam and Eve. And he wants to have a relationship with us. It goes back to the core right at the beginning. This is a beautiful verse in Genesis 3:21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They'd screwed up, decided to make their kind of ragtag fig leaf clothing. Fallen apart, didn't work, and God himself took initiative and said, you know what? Take that off. Here is garments. The word garments is like the best material. That's what God does. Is despite what we've done, the fact that we made the choice to sin, he takes the initiative with us and wants to give us the very best. Just like he did with Adam and Eve. You know, the same as today. No matter what you've done, no matter the fear and the shame that you've been carrying for years, God wants to take that from you, give you his grace, and give you the very best. That doesn't mean that you're not going to battle fear and shame. It doesn't mean that you're not going to battle sin. 
we will the rest of our lives. What it means is, just like in 1 Corinthians, we have a way out. Basically, the same rut that we've been living our whole lives is not the only way. And a relationship with God gives us a way out. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and 1 Corinthians 15, 22, they're in your, uh, your outline there. Those are good verses that talk about God's grace. Um, you know, as we talk about Easter, Easter is really the celebration of the hope that we have. Just like Adam and Eve, what they, they figured out is God was gracious with them, gave them a fresh start, and God's done that again for us today in the person of Jesus Christ. Despite what we've done, the fear and the shame that we've, we've carried around, in Jesus Christ we can experience hope again. No matter how much the wind is blowing or the waves are crashing, we have hope in him. Uh, this week there's some, some next steps you can take. If you're just trying to figure out how to get out of the mess, uh, first thing is ask God to show you any unconfessed sin. Um, you may have been a Christian for a long time, and there's just maybe some parts of your life that you've never really decided to surrender to God. Uh, maybe you've, you're checking out Christianity, and there's just some things about you and things that you've done that you think, I could never be in a relationship with God because of this. Confess that to God. He will forgive you. Uh, second, memorize 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Uh, you could read Psalm 51 this week. It's a good model of how to confess, uh, how to be real with God. Last, you can thank God for his grace in a specific situation. Let's pray together. God, thanks for and the fact that we, we've sinned and we really messed up the, the way you decided it to be. You know, you really designed the world to, to give us complete a blessing, and because of our own choices, things that we've done and things that have happened to us, life has just spiraled out. But you, God, reconnect us to your plan. As we enter into a relationship with you and as we get back to dealing with our Creator, you really give us hope. Thank you so much for that. It's so easy to, to be so busy in life and all the worries that we have and the concerns and to forget that it really just comes back to you pursuing us and wanting, wanting to be in a relationship with us. Show us the things in our lives that we've not dealt with before you. Things that we've done, things that have been done to us. Give us the strength to deal with that. Because you, God, really want to provide us freedom. Thank you for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.